0: This hour we're going to shift gears and talk about eschatology. I'm going to start out by finishing up with a slide that we looked at last time and it will lead into our topic for today. Okay? We had been talking last time about the Messianic kingdom in the Old Testament. We'd gone through the argument that God had made promises to Israel that require him to reestablish the nation in their own land under the rule of a king who is a descendant of King David. We looked at some of the passages of the Old Testament that anticipate that. And then I think we started looking at the New Testament passages as well. We looked at the Annunciation where the angel spoke of Jesus as the one who would rule over the kingdom of David. We looked at the Ascension where the Apostles had asked Jesus just before he left the earth, will you at this time reestablish the kingdom? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times that the Father has established, but I've got something else for you to do in the meantime. We looked at the Jerusalem Council where a passage from Amos was quoted that predicted in the future there would be Gentiles saved as Gentiles, and the argument was that if in the future there will be Gentiles saved as Gentiles, and that suggests that the distinction between Jews and Gentiles will will persist into the future, and that fits in with the kingdom idea. Um, we looked at Acts fourteen twenty two. I don't remember what that said. Anybody remember off the top of your head? Acts fourteen twenty two. Oh. Yes, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God, which suggests that we haven't really entered the kingdom. We're on the way, but we haven't done it yet. Then we looked at Second Peter, chapter one, verses 10 and 11, where Peter says, "If you build godly character and you build on the foundation of faith, if you build a life that will please God, an abundant entrance will be given you into the kingdom suggesting again that our entrance into the kingdom is a future matter. There's a passage in Revelation 11.15 that says, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, anticipating the return of Christ at the second coming. Put all these things together, and it does seem clear that the messianic kingdom of Christ, the kingdom predicted in the Old Testament and required by the covenants is still future. Now, the question, if the kingdom is still future and Israel has no kingdom today, how will God fulfill his promises to Israel? And the answer is, and we've said this before, God himself will establish David's kingdom according to Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. We're going to spend the rest of our course examining prophecies of the establishment of Christ's reign and the events that lead to and follow that establishment. Now let me just tell you right off the top of, right now we may never get to the book of Revelation. Okay? We may never even touch it. And I'm doing that on purpose. Okay? Too many believers think that the book of Revelation is the book of prophecy. The book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and it ties together all the data that we're going to be looking at. But if somehow the book of Revelation had been lost from our Bibles and none of us had ever read it, we would still know that God is going to work according to a premillennial scheme. We wouldn't have many of the details that are found there, what was that? We wouldn't have the uh, many of the exhortations and a lot of interesting information that's there that the Holy Spirit wants us to have but the book of Revelation is not the foundation of eschatology it's much better to build the foundation as we are doing it and then with that foundation then later go read the book of Revelation and you'll say wow all the pieces just fit in right into the slots That's it's really kind of neat so I hope you won't be disappointed if we don't get to that book. Okay, now some key passages that deal with the question, what happens now that Israel has lost her kingdom? This is the question that the Jews were all asking themselves after the Babylonian captivity began. They're saying, we've lost our kingdom. We don't have a king reigning on the throne. Gentiles control us. What happens now? Well. There are a number of Old Testament passages and we're going to spend the next two nights in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, 7, 8, and 9. Okay? So open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. And I'm going to do most of what I'm going to do kind of freehand and using the blackboard. We'll occasionally come back to the PowerPoint. In Daniel chapter 2... You probably know the story. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It disturbs him. He calls his wise men in and says, tell me what my dream means. And they said, fine, we'll be happy to. Tell you. Tell us what you dreamed. Uh-huh. I'm not going to tell you. Because I know that if I tell you what I dreamed, you can make up anything, and I'll have no way of knowing whether it's right or not. So I have a test for you. If you can figure out what I dreamed without me telling you what I dreamed, then I'll know that you really have a supernatural tap on the truth and then I'll trust you and they all say this is ridiculous this is not in our contract and Nebuchadnezzar says tough if you can't do it off with your head Daniel hears about this and he comes into the king and he says give us some time and he and his, two, his three friends pray and God reveals first to Daniel what the king dreamed and then the meaning of what the king dreamed Okay. Now, we're going to jump to that right now. Verse 31 of Daniel, chapter 2. Daniel says, You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. Now, when he says image, he means a statue, kind of like an idol. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron... its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now, that's what he saw. Now, it looked something like this. Okay? Forgive my art. He said, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff. From the summer threshing floors, the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and (laughs) filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. Now I expect Nebuchadnezzar was sitting there with his jaw dropped, saying, that's exactly what I saw. How did you know? And Daniel goes on, and he says, you, O king, are a king of kings. Nebuchadnezzar's going, I know. <laughs> For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And he's going, wait a minute. I'm a self-made man. He's going to argue that later. And then he goes on, and wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and he has made you ruler over them. You are the head of gold. Sounds pretty good. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. Now, what Daniel is telling the king is that the image represents a timeline. It's a sequence of empires. Okay? And if you notice, we go gold, silver, bronze, iron there is a, a progression here. Gold is the most precious. Silver is less precious. Bronze is less precious. And iron is less precious. But there's also a sequence of increasing strength. Gold is the softest. Silver is a little harder. Bronze is a lot stronger. And iron is really, really strong. Okay? <clears throat> and there's probably significance to that sequence. Now, in verse 4, he says, The fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. For as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. Now as we get down to the feet and the toes, we're getting later and later in history. And he's saying that late in history... That final empire is going to be divided, okay? It's not going to be totally unified, and yet there's still going to be strength in it. What's the significance of a <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's called artistic license. <laughs> Boxers. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's good that people listening to the tape can't see the picture. Okay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. This is in the latter days of the kingdom. And as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Now verse 43 is a little hard to figure out exactly what those details mean. don't ask me, I don't know okay But the big picture I think is pretty clear there's going to be a sequence of four Gentile empires one two, three, and they are going to be followed by the kingdom of the God of heaven, right? Now, did you notice anything about the description of the kingdom of the God of heaven that makes you think of the Davidic covenant? What does he say about that kingdom? Yeah, it shall never be destroyed. Okay? Who is the God of heaven? Yahweh, it's Israel's God, and he is going to set it up. Did you notice back in, my page clicked, in, back in verse 34, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, what do you think that phrase without hands might refer to? Hands are the tools of who? Men. men. If it's cut out without hands, it's not done by men, Right? Can you think of anything in the New Testament where there's talk of a stone that crushes? Isn't Christ called the smiting stone? Whoever falls on it will be cut to pieces, and whoever, on whomever it falls will be crushed. Okay? Now, what, what this dream is telling us is that there is going to be, at the end of this sequence of four empires, catastrophic event in which God will intervene in human history and displace human rule from the earth and instead set up a kingdom that will last forever. Tie this back to what we looked at in Isaiah chapter 9, where we're talking about Christ becoming the ruler and the government will be on his shoulders.